Well, as promised, it's time to jump into a discussion regarding faith. Well, almost time. There may be a quick diversion with the intent of strengthening that discussion. Settle in and you'll see what we mean. Here's George. So we're returning now to Hebrews 11, and here's how it begins. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then this is followed verse by verse like this. By faith we understand. By faith Abel offered to God. By faith Enoch was taken away. But without faith it is impossible to please him. By faith Noah. By faith Abraham. By faith he dwelt. By faith Sarah. These all died in faith. By faith Isaac. By faith Jacob. By faith Joseph. By faith Moses. By faith he forsook Egypt. By faith he kept the Passover. By faith they passed through the Red Sea. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish. You see, all of these sentences begin by faith, by faith, by faith. And then it concludes this way. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, and also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Hebrews 11 is an intense and sweeping depiction of faith and the testimony of faith's centrality to life in God. It speaks both of the immediate results of faith and also of delayed results, where God's higher purposes subsumed faith until a greater result would be revealed. Faith is key to life in God. But rather, rather than dive immediately into faith, we're going to begin first by taking a diversion into skepticism. Skepticism, the enemy of faith. Skepticism, the enemy of our own faith and often the way of attack of faith from others. Beginning in college and continuing for many years, I had a serious interest in other religions 
and what would today be called New Age topics, reincarnation, enlightenment, yoga, meditation, and things spiritual. After I came to faith in Jesus, something surprising and weird happened. I found that if I went into a bookstore and got close to a New Age book rack, it would give me the willies. I couldn't stay near these books. They made me feel creepy and itchy. And also, prior to coming to faith, I had read and appreciated the writings of people who considered themselves skeptics, meaning broadly that they were rationalists, usually atheists, and relished exposing fraud, trickery, and bad behavior among people who believed spiritual things, whether astrology, magic, or especially Christianity. There's actually a magazine called Skeptic, which I used to enjoy reading. Why? Well, at least in part because I found fraud by Christian leaders to be especially repugnant, even before I was a Christian. I still do find such behavior repugnant, by the way. And I remember a radio preacher saying God had told him there was a person listening right that moment who had saved up $6,000 to buy a car, that it had taken a long time and hard work to get to that point, but now God wanted them to send that money, all of it, to the radio ministry. He said God would multiply and reward that act of faithful giving far beyond the $6,000. You just know that this shotgun, prophetic word, would find several targets, people who had saved just that amount of money or close to it, and who were naive enough to believe that this word was from God and intended for them personally. And they sent in their $6,000, confident that God had orchestrated this radio communication just for their benefit. Now, I bet that you find this as disgusting as I do, and I'm hoping God has a special place in hell set aside for that preacher. Now, I don't actually mean that literally, but it does express my revulsion at this kind of theft. Skeptic, the magazine, regularly debunked this kind of fraud, and I liked that. But after I became a believer, I found that if I picked up the magazine, I no longer liked it. Now, as I read it, I felt an emotionally bitter, angry edge in it. Skeptics usually describe themselves like this. We just want to look rationally and carefully and make good judgments about spiritual things that people believe and see whether there is any factual basis to them. This sounds pure, sensible, and objective, but it's seldom played out that way. Rather, I found that when skeptics went into their investigations, there was an edge of condescension, even anger, toward people who believed things different from what they believed, and this colored their study and their reporting. Even more broadly, though they claim objectivity, we inhabit a universe where complete objectivity is impossible. The observer changes the observed in the process of observation. This happens in a couple of ways. First, there's a scientific principle called uncertainty, developed by Werner Heisenberg. 
He was a German physicist who observed that if you try to measure the momentum, you could think speed, and position of a subatomic particle like an electron, you can measure only one or the other with accuracy. The more accurate you get with one, the less accurate you get with the other. You can know exactly where that electron is the instant you measured it, but have no idea how fast it is moving. Or you can determine exactly how fast it's moving, but once you've measured it, you have no idea where it is. The reason is that in order to observe an electron flying through space, you have to bounce a photon, a particle of light, off of it. We see each other because the photons that come from a light source, like a light bulb or the sun, they bounce off of us and then land on the retinas of each other's eyes. We are so large that billions and billions of photons can bounce off of us without our noticing any effect. We don't seem to get pushed around by them. But at the size of an electron, getting hit by a photon is a big deal. It changes the direction and speed of the electron. It didn't take long for philosophers to point out that this applied pretty broadly, not just on the subatomic level, but on the macroscopic level too. We affect what we observe by our observation of it. Secondly, there is a related psychological observer-observed phenomenon, probably even more familiar. We've all had an experience like this. You're sitting thinking about pancakes or the clouds or Heisenberg. Your facial expression reflects virtually nothing, or at least it doesn't reflect pancakes or clouds or Heisenberg. But if somebody who thinks you are angry with them looks at you, they think that what is on your face is anger toward them. You might not be angry at them at all, but they come into it with that assumption, and so they interpret what they see by the bias with which they observe it. But the observer can also change the observed when they ask you hotly, what are you so angry about? Maybe you weren't angry before they said that, but your adrenaline gets stirred up when they do. The observer has affected the observed. We color what we observe by what we believe ahead of time, but we also interact with what we observe and change it. So much for pure objectivity. This isn't rocket science, and most of us have discovered these simple realities on our own. Well, it applies to skeptics. It's impossible to observe the world without a bias. And so we need to understand that there isn't an objectivity that skeptics can claim, and this will have some direct effect on how we understand faith. And we will come back to this again next time. Well, thank you, George. It's good to get a bit of context on those that don't see faith the way we might. And we'll use that basis to make our look at faith even more meaningful. Well, unfortunately, we've run out of time for today, but we'll pick up the discussion of faith next time we get together. In the meantime, another reminder that the book, What We Believe and Why, makes a great resource to follow along while you're listening to Pastor George teach on this topic. You can get your copy at whatwebelieveandwhy.com. Other resources available there. We invite you to check it out. And we hope you'll join us next time we get together for another edition of What We Believe and Why.